0: This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert.
1: It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible, and we do appreciate those of you who have tuned in today, especially if this may be your very first time uh, to listen to Know Your Bible. And we appreciate those of you who watch every time we're on the air. Thank you so very much. Now today, our lesson is entitled, God's Divine Mystery. You know, most people like a mystery. Well, we want to talk about God's mystery, His divine mystery. I hope that you'll stay tuned today. Now on getting to know your Bible, we offer a free Bible correspondence course I'd like to emphasize that it is free. We want you to have it. We'd like to make it available today on our telecast. You say, well, Brother Lambert, what does it cost? Absolutely nothing. We make it available to you without any cost. And we, we want you to pause now for just a moment so you can learn more about the course and learn how to receive it.
0: To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible, It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.
1: I want to read now from Ephesians, the 5th chapter, verse 28 through 33. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. The word mystery means a scheme, a strategy, a plan that is not known. In the text that I've just read, especially verse uh, 32, which says this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. The word mystery is used to mean that God had a plan that was kept secret in that it had not been made known in the Old Testament. It is referred to in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 as the mystery of godliness. In Ephesians 1.19 it is referred to as the mystery of his will. And according to Romans the 16th chapter verse 25 it was kept secret From the beginning. So God had a mystery. That is, he had a plan that was not known. It was kept veiled. But now it is known. According to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32, this mystery is the church. Let me read it again. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church that the church encompasses and encircles everything that is connected with the salvation of man. That's not to say that the church is a man's Savior. Christ is the Savior. But the church is composed of the same. The book of Ephesians has been referred to by some as God's love letter to the church. You see, the book of Ephesians tells us a great deal about the church. Let's turn now to Ephesians, the first chapter. And in the first chapter, we learn something about the preeminence of the church. I begin reading in verse uh, 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Now listen carefully to part, verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now according to verse 22, especially verse 22, the position that Christ occupies is to the head of the church. Christ has a name that is above every name and all things are in subjection to him. You see, he has all authority or power. Matthew 28, 18. And as such, Jesus Christ is head over all things to the church. There is one head and there is one body. Knows it again. Gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. There is one church, one body, one head. And he is, is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Just imagine that we have two circles. There's a large circle, and there's an inner circle inside that circle. Now, for the inner circle to be the fullness of the outer circle, it must be equal to the outer circle. And the church is the fullness of Christ. That just simply means that the church, if you let the inner circle represent the church, the church is the fullness of Christ. The church is equal to the importance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have here in Ephesians 1, 20 to 23, the preeminence of the church. Now turn to the second chapter, beginning in verse number 11, and we read about the importance of the church. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, Think about that. Without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Now listen to verse number 16 especially. And that he might reconcile them both to God, that's Jew and Gentile, in one body, one body, through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Now I want you to go back to the second verse of chapter 2. After Paul had made the statement in verse 1 that you and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, it says, in which you once walked, this is the way that they once were. You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. And when they were walking like that and living like that, verse 12 says, they were without Christ. They were without God. And they were without hope. But there is hope for those who have been reconciled to God. Verse 16. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body. Men are separated from God because of sin. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. And they are reconciled to God by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16 again. That he might reconcile them both to God. Where? In One body. What is that body? Verse 23, verse 22 and 23, the church which is his body, that he might reconcile them both unto God in one body by the cross or through the cross, thereby putting to death their enmity. So men are separated and men can be reconciled to God because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the place of reconciliation is in that one body. We understand the word reconcile when we speak of a family having a dispute, a dispute, and maybe a husband and wife are not getting along, and and someone sits them down and, and says, you know, we need to come to some conclusion here. And so the the husband and wife have a reconciliation. We understand that that means that they have been able to resolve their differences, work them out, and now they are one again. Well, we were separated from God. And the thing that was able to cause us to be at peace with God and to have this reconciliation with God was when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. There isn't any other way for us to be reconciled to Him. But the place of reconciliation, what I want us to see, is in the body, that is, in the church. But then let's look in the third chapter of Ephesians. We learn about the church in the eternal plan and the eternal purpose of God Almighty. Look in verse number 6. Well, actually, let's begin reading at verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles if indeed that you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, there's the word mystery again, you see, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known. What was not made known the mystery? To the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to his holy apostles and prophets. And so the mystery, that which was a mystery in the Old Testament, has now been revealed. And then he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. Remember the body is identified in verses 22, 23, chapter 1 as the church that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his spirit. And then he teaches that they are, here he teaches in verse 6, that they are heirs of the same body. There is no distinction to be found in Jesus Christ. There is no distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. There is no distinction between the rich and the poor. There is no distinction between the the educated and the uneducated. There is no distinction between people of one color and another color because we can all be heirs of the same body. Galatians, the third chapter and verse 28, teaches that we're all one in Christ. And if you are an heir, verse 6, then you're in the church, which is the body. I want you to notice carefully now the tenth verse of the third chapter of Ephesians, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church, that is the body, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. The church was in the eternal purpose of God. It wasn't an accident. You know, there are some people would have us to believe that when... God set up the church, it was somewhat an emergency measure on his part. That's to reflect upon the wisdom of God Almighty. The church was in the eternal plan of God. We talk about God being eternal. We don't get too excited about that. That is, we believe it. I may not understand it. And and we accept it. We say he is from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus is eternal. His goings forth have then been from of old from everlasting according to the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And the Holy Spirit is eternal. It's referred to in Hebrews 9, 14 as the eternal spirit. And the church was in the eternal purpose of God. That simply means that there has never been a time that God did not have the church in mind. It is not an accident. It was not an afterthought. It was not an emergency measure. The church is in God's eternal plan. Now let's turn to chapter 4. In chapter 4, we read something else about the church, and that's its unity. Begin verse number 1, and I'm going to be reading the first six verses of chapter 4. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the the, uh, calling with which you were called, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Now listen, verse 4 beginning, there is one body and one spirit. One body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Here we learn something about the unity of the church. Here Paul teaches that there's just one God, just one God. That's unity in worship. In Matthew 4 and 10, Jesus said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. Him only shalt thou serve. There's just one God. Paul said there's one Lord. There's, there's unity and authority. We're to listen to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and to submit to that authority. He said all authority hath been given unto me in heaven and on earth. He said there's one faith. And that's a faith that's been once for all delivered to the saints. Jude 3. There's just one message, one gospel. Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul said in Ephesians 4, there is one baptism. That's just one practice. And that's the baptism of the Great Commission. According to Jesus in Matthew, the 28th chapter, verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and lo I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Then in Ephesians 4 Paul said there's just one spirit, there's just one teacher and that's the Holy Spirit. In John the 16th chapter and verse 13 Jesus said how be it When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he shall teach you all things. And he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he heareth, that shall he speak. And then Paul in Ephesians 4 said, there's just one hope, one desire. We're saved by that one hope, Romans 8 and verse 24. So in this love letter of the church in the fourth chapter, we have something about the unity of the church. Now as we turn over to the fifth chapter, we read something about the relationship that exists between Christ and the church. In the 22nd verse, Paul wrote, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. He's the Savior of the church. You see, the church and the body are one and the same. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And then taking up in verse 34 where we read in the very beginning of our study, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord does the church. We're members of His body and of His flesh and of His bones. Now listen to verse 31. And this is a quotation from the Old Testament, from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now what Paul writes here. It is an allusion to the marriage of Adam and Eve. I want you to think about it. Adam was put to sleep in order that he might have a wife. Christ slept the sleep of death that he might bring forth his bride into the world. God opened Adam's side. Christ's side was opened while he was on that cross. Adam paid the price of his own flesh. Jesus paid the price of his body on the cross. The woman was created out of the material taken from the side of Adam from a rib. And the church was purchased with the blood that was taken from the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam was married to his wife Eve, and Jesus is married to his bride. Romans chapter 7 and verse number 4. And Jesus loves his bride. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wife even as Christ also loved the church, that is, his bride, and gave himself for her. Verse 26 says that, in verse 28 rather says that he nourishes and cherishes it. Verse 26 says that the church has been sanctified and has been cleansed with the washing of water by the word. There is absolutely no way that you can separate Christ and the church. He is the husband and the church is his bride. He is the head and the church is his body. But this shows the relationship that exists between Jesus and the church. But I want you to look carefully again at verse 23 of chapter 5. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior, the Savior, the Savior of the body. And so this shows something about the relationship of Christ in the church. Now turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. In Ephesians, the 6th chapter, we have the relationship of Christ to our foe who is Satan himself. In the 10th chapter of Ephesians, chapter 6, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's a very sobering thought that what we're dealing with is a host of wickedness in the heavenly places. This says, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all taking the shield of faith, which, with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We're engaged in a battle. The church is engaged in a struggle, and it's a struggle. It is a battle with Satan. He'd like to destroy the church, and we better be prepared. We're dealing with spiritual wickedness. Be prepared for the conflict. But when you become a Christian, you are delivered from the kingdom of Satan, Colossians 1.13. You've been translated from, uh, delivered from darkness, been translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. But that's not the end of your struggle with the devil because the Satan would love to destroy you. The book of Ephesians to me is one of the most interesting books there is in all of the New Testament. God's love letter to the church. I don't think that we can miss the point. God loves the church. He loved it so much that he was willing for his son to die to make it possible. Now, in the closing moments, I want to give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And also, please, right now, call for the free Bible Correspondence Course. It will help you to understand more about what we've studied today about the church in the Bible. I want to thank you for watching today Till we meet again. May the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer.
0: Give me the Bible, holy message shining. Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. Precept and promise, law and love combining. Till I shall vanish in eternal day. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ, if you have a question about the church or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.